You are listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tim Merry. And I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart. This week on Find the Outside, we're talking about the origins of the work we do, where it all began, and a little bit about the outside, mm-hmm. our, our company that mm-hmm. we have together. Mm-hmm. If you've already listened to the first episode, you know a bit about who we are. We'll get more into that, of course, um, and the kind of work we do. But what we want to do with this episode is to share about, about the learning path, a bit about our own trajectory in this work and uh, how we started doing this work you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We're getting oh, older, yeah. Tim. We're yeah. Um, and how it brought us to the work that we're doing together today. So that's yeah. kind of what we're up to on this episode. Well, I remember as a teenager, I had this vision. Right? I knew what I was going to do. I was going to be a, a theatre director. Did you? I was going to be a theatre director, right? Uh, and I, and I, my school didn't offer theatre. So I organised my own theatre A-level, which was like the final two years of study in English schools. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I knew it. I wanted to have the kind of like social analysis of Bertolt Brecht. I wanted the ability for people to be like, kind of like awake while they were watching it and learning about society. But I wanted the popular appeal of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, okay. Yeah, All yeah, right. I wanted both. And then I okay. went to theatre school and everybody was there, like studying to be in Coronation Street and in EastEnders and in Neighbours. And Help. I was just like, what? Soap Help. operas. This is not what I thought theatre school was going to be. Okay, didn't know th- what that was. Right, I thought it was going to be social change. Through theatre, and it wasn't Whoa. that. And then eventually, and I got, and I really, I mean, I was really clear. So I went into the uh, the theatre directors, the director of the theatre school's office, you know, and, and he basically told me that my style of theatre, you know, wasn't appropriate to the theatre school. So I told him where he could put his theatre school. And that was the end of my theatre school career. Oh my you gosh. Know? Everything shattered, right? Whoa. I, my, I had my life planned out, mate. And um, Whoa. so I just went wild for a few years. Yeah. And then eventually I ended up uh, you, you know, after coming back with my brother and then a fella called REM Boss who I miss terribly and uh, and we were going to start this company Engage in the Netherlands and we'd just kind of gone for it and uh, um, and I remember sitting around this fire mm-hmm. in uh, in Slovenia at this castle Castle Ball which is apparently the home of Percival from mm, the Percival okay the, the Percival myth and um, and so uh and, and, and it was this, like, we were helping run this youth festival called Legends of Peace. Okay. You know, young people from some, like, 39 different countries from across Europe were coming together. And, uh, and but the what thing was, was that there was this business conference that was ending. And so you had all these kind of, like, radical youth sitting around the fire. Oh. And you had all these CEOs of, like, major international businesses. And it was an arts and business conference. So you had all these, like, crazy artists in the room wow. at the same time. And we were all sitting around this fire. And I remember looking around the fire and seeing everybody arguing you know oh. and I had this like little moment Do you ever had those moments where I, I kind of like I remember I literally remember leaning back like the fire being there looking up at the stars and being like oh bollocks the thing is mm. the thing is it's not any of the issues that's the problem it's the fact that we don't know how to get along enough with each other wow. to solve any of the issues because everyone around that fire was debating how we should solve a problem right and arguing and disagreeing yeah and I was like no the problems aren't the problem it's how we relate to each other that's the problem. And that started this whole trajectory for me mm-hmm. into how how we work with each other is the fundamental challenge of our times, right? And of course, the problems we're faced with are 
astronomical in their size and complexity. But if we can't figure out how mm. to get along with each other across our difference, we don't stand a chance of tackling any of the major issues we're faced with. Yeah. And that and that really set a trajectory. I mean, that's been my inquiry and that's yeah. led me into the work with you has been that kind of like, all right, how do we work across difference, right? How do we figure these challenges out? And, uh, and, and, and if we can't create containers where we can meet across our difference, there's no way we're gonna be able to solve the challenges because we're not gonna see enough of the bigger picture to make smart choices. Yeah. There you go, a little origin story for you. I love it. What's yours? I love it. Come well, on. you made me think about what did I want to be as mm, a kid, right? right? When you started that. And in fourth grade, because I have this written down, I know what I wanted to be. No. Yeah, I, t I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Oh. Or a waitress. Oh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Nice. That's right. See? So I, I, <laughs> I have done neither of those things. Well, I mean, I guess I was a server for a while, but um, so that's, it just made me laugh. I'm like, yeah, brain surgeon. My, my grandfather had been dying of brain cancer at that point. And right. so I just, you know, uh, and I think I thought waitressing was cool. You get the food first and I'm always yeah. hungry. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. But um, I know exactly uh my origin story is really clear. And I think I said I wasn't going to tell the story, but I am. At my junior year of college, we had to do a practicum. So my my degree, my undergrad degree is in family studies. And so we had to do a practicum at a local social service agency, something having to do with helping people. And I am not sure why. I mean, I really don't remember why, but I decided I wanted to do it at our local rape crisis center. And I walked into the room and people were answering the hotline. And I just remember it felt like coming home. It was, it's so crazy. And people, I think who aren't in that field don't understand like the sense of love and care and camaraderie you can get in that field. But it was all women. Uh, cisgendered women is what we would kind of say now. At this point, that was not a term that was used. Um, but it was all cisgendered women and they were all like in it, helping each other. And like that, I was like that. I want that. I want to work with other women. Remember I told you my mom had said to me always, women are your friends. I want to work with other women and I want to work on the tough stuff, right? And it doesn't get much tougher than sexual assault. So did that work for years, kind of volunteered to answer the hotline. And what I learned there, and then I pretty soon after I uh, graduated from graduate school, so I went and got my MSW, because I knew from doing the rape crisis work that I wanted to work with trauma survivors, mm -hmm. that that was like what gave me juice. Um, and so I started working with individual women and groups of women. And it was, yes, the topic, right? Like, so I felt like it was real, but it was also like, there was nothing, if you could face that, there was nothing you couldn't face, right? Right. So like this sense of like, we're in it together and we're facing the toughest stuff. And like that to me has like been like what I'm up for. I'm always up for like really hard, really bold, kind of like going for it. And in that field, like I just learned like you can do it together. It was mm. always together. That field wow. is based on being together. Um, and, and being for each other. And also, I think the other foundational thing I learned there is not only can you face the hard things if you do it together, but you don't actually have to have training. Do you know, I mean, like you have to train, but you don't have to like be an expert in this to help each other. And so like my favorite part of the week was support groups, which was just like anyone could come, anyone from across the city could come and we would talk about what was happening to them and they would help each other. And I was a therapist and I had the degree, but I was just kind of like there helping them help each other. Um, and so that's like what I do, right? Like that's what I do. I help people help each other. Like it's not, 
rocket science. And But what has carried me through is this belief that we can, right? And so even in our toughest situations, right? Like when we're in a room and it's hot, yeah. number one, I can always go to, well, no one's threatening to kill someone or threatening to kill themselves. So we're fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of- We haven't you... met that yet exactly. in our systems change work. Right? It gives you a baseline. Yeah. Um, and I just fundamentally believe we can do it. And so- uh, but that field is high burnout. It is high stress. The subject does matter, right? Like it does matter. And so um, I left that field uh, when I had my son, when he was about two, I think. I just felt like it was too much, too much to kind of parent and give and then be in this other situation and give. And at that point, I was working more in systems change, right? It's like so big scale. And I got an invitation. I was working at Ohio State and I got an invitation to training you were running. Ha ha. November 2006. Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Gold River. Gold Lake. Gold Lake. Gold, Gold Lake. Lake. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Lot, I mean, outdoor jacuzzis. Wasn't that outdoor? Hot springs. Hot, yeah. Outdoor hot springs. Yeah. Sorry, not jacuzzi. Hot springs. Yeah. I mean, at some point I'll tell the naked story there. Come not on. this particular art of hosting. Okay. But I, it's it's my art of hosting origin that is, story. That is quite a taster for another art of hosting, for another podcast, isn't it? I'll it tell is. the naked story later. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> tell the naked story later. Mm-hmm. Not this time. Yeah. But I went and um, and I liked it. Right? Like, and so part of the reason I went was because I was convening people, right? Yeah. And so this was a training about how you convene people, get them in conversation. It was in Boulder. I love the mountains. So I kind of just went because my boss was like, do you want to go? And I was like, meh, sure. That sounds great. It's an international team. I thought that was appealing, right? So I kind of went and I felt good about going. But I would say, meh, meh, meh. Yeah, the last day, I don't know if you remember this, the very last day I was like, this is a nice picture you're painting, but I don't really see how to insert myself into it. So thanks very much. Kind of like, thank you for the training and <laughs> See you later. <laughs> it's so funny to me. It's like, I remember the very first thing that you said to me directly. You were mocking me a little bit. That's all right. That's good. That's our friendship. But um... <laughs> Wait, what? You totally did. Did I? You did. What did I do? Well, number one, you had us doing a blind walk exercise. Yeah. You know this? Yeah. And the person I was walking with, this is probably more than we have. Anyway, the person I was walking with had me hug a tree. Uh-huh. And I was like, huh, I just literally hugged a tree. And I, th- I, I mean, I, but I'd had some insight, like some epiphany. It was big. And you're like, well, let's just go home then. <laughs> Done now. That's that's. I'm sure that's exactly what you said. And anyway, so I left that training just being like, meh. I'm. I mean, like, I like these people and they're fine, but I wasn't overly impressed. Yeah. Um. But uh, what was impressive is I had said I'm not sure how to insert myself into this picture, and Toka, who's one of our both of our mentors, yeah, and time. certainly, um, and I know he probably doesn't love this language, but one of the founding folks of our community, the art of hosting, um, was kind of like okay, come work with me, yeah. right? And like the very next week he was in my town and we did two large events together. Yeah. And so he just was kind of like, great. He heard it as an invitation, not a challenge, right? Which is something about the generosity of this community, yeah. right? And so that was like a real, that was, that was a thing. It was like, oh, I said this thing and I got, they picked me up. And then that's how I kind of got into this field. And so that would be, so then I was working in systems change at a university 
and doing participation and then kind of like those two things started coming together projects started getting bigger and bigger and then you invited you invited me into work within six months yeah i did yeah we started working on food systems work in the u.s and i was yeah. really unclear how i could be uh, just to be frank i was unclear how i could be useful because i wasn't in that our in this field all that much right i mean i had facilitated and things like that but that was a place where having an analysis a social justice analysis was invaluable to that team like no we question. had to have it on our team absolutely and so then we just kind of like started working together and like was... you're already a practitioner do you know what i mean like you know when yeah. you talk about like the way that you were, were what did you call their monthly groups the support groups the way you were working with the support groups yeah you know i mean that like i mean you're, ba you're basically describing the fundamental principle of the art of hosting yeah which is creating the conditions for people to come together and advance their own problems you know find ways forward like that's the root of of the work or still is the root of it work. still is i mean like it's but it's just moved from working with small groups of people to now yeah. working with very large distributed complex systems that's right. but the fundamental belief guiding it is still how do we create the conditions for people to come together and figure it out themselves? Like, like that's right. at the basis of it all, we're process consultants. That's right. Right. Hey. We, we, we create, we build a process for people that creates the conditions for them, hopefully to rise to the opportunity as their best selves, meet each other there and begin to move forward through it, you know, and sometimes not their best selves. Well, look, I mean, I think, I hope our process is ask for their best selves yeah. and sometimes people rise to it and sometimes they don't yeah and i think that that for me is one of the differences and i want to ask you like one of the things we're going to talk about is like so we met like so my daughter is 10 i wouldn't even have been pregnant with her yet so it would have been 11 2006 right so that's 12 years ago 11 and a half years ago yeah so what was the work you were doing 11 and a half years ago oh my goodness mm -hmm. well i was in the middle of starting the youth center at the down in yarmouth ah Okay. Right. right. So we like we'd, we'd got there and we had realized there was actually no services for young people. So we'd started running these youth programs, and then the big thing that had come back was we don't even have anywhere to go do nothing. So we ended up starting this drop-in youth center. So we were in the middle of Split Rock Learning Center, starting that up. Um, and then we were also kind of doing the Shire, which was this like oh. rural venue and conference center that was like running out of like a yurt on a deck and like <laughs> composting toilets and like showers pumped from the pond you know that the jimmy my brother-in-law had built out of recycled wood you know and so um so that was all kind of going on and then there was the kind of consulting work i was doing and on these like large food systems work um i was still going back over to europe doing some work with oh. Ariane and peter i think okay. i was still we've been doing some work in belarus with the council of europe okay uh, but again like that and that was arts work like the stuff in belarus actually mm. was kind of like arts and social change so it was like drumming theater oh, all, of wow. that, all of that kind of stuff um and then uh had just started doing work in the local community so i was doing some work with um Nakiel home for special care which is uh um uh don't, what's the right word there continuing care home right okay and so we would i just started with first i think i just about that period landed the first job in nova scotia that was more than like turning up and running a two-hour gig you know yeah and so uh so that was really exciting too they've actually I'm just started i'm gonna go back and work with them this fall oh yeah nice. yeah 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 like 13 years on wow. right and they were the first people in nova scotia who trusted me and wow. now i'm going back in and working with them as they go into the next cycle of their work nice i know i'm so happy to do it that's yeah. awesome yeah how about you what were you do? what was the focus of your work that um well when we met right i was at ohio state and i was working at a place called the women's center which is around institutional change right. for faculty and staff when i'm on campus and then 
you know, in about two seconds, I left that work, right, to go out on my own because we we had this big food systems work and I was eight months pregnant and who doesn't make that kind of decision? When you're <laughs> I remember you standing up on stage like in fr- 600 people, right. like just like pregnant and just giving everyone the full side view. You That's know? right. I was it was beautifully so done. So big. I was so big and I was just like, Let's talk about elephants in the room. Oh right? yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so I left that work and then did the the food the food work with you and, uh, but but still consulted back into Ohio State. You know, kind of doing some of those two hour cafes or you know, yeah, I, yeah, I consulted yeah. still back into domestic violence, running trainings. Like I did a trainings for a couple of years even for them, um, and then like you said, the work started kind of getting bigger and bigger like we would do small things for a client and then they would say oh well we have you know a strategy we want to work on for the next six months right Right. and then um for me the big turning point was the work with mid-ohio food bank as they said that they wanted to work with their 20 counties long-term significant change i mean that's a massive project i mean that was how long was that nine years overall we were in that work seven years right yeah we We should put the link to the summary of that work on the thing for the that's podcast great. yeah because that's brilliant i mean like I, the kind of content capture there was amazing it was amazing work yeah. i mean seven the, years right? the I mean, mandate yeah the mandate was right to start uh, it started out with like starting a hunger movement across the 20 counties in ohio Boom. right and so we worked with all 20 counties to develop kind of a plan for what they want to do around hunger and yes uh at, around year four then we we'd done 19 counties and um and so we started looking back on what we learned. And so, yes, we will link to that website that shares. And just when you say a hunger movement, um, wasn't about, you know, everyone getting more hungry, obviously. You're not building a <laughs> hunger movement. No, right? so, I mean, just the danger right. of the title. So, yeah. just, so just give us a bit more. So like what? what I think um, what we ended up calling it was the hunger journey, right? It was oh, actually how nice. people would begin to address hunger in their communities, like a full on grassroots. I think Matt said kind of grass tops, grassroots kind of awesome. movement awesome. toward address to address hunger in each community in our so, town so or in our state. One of the things that's fundamentally changed for me mm-hmm. over the years of doing this work, and I think also through the years of being in relationship with you, is that I had this kind of like ridiculous idea, and it is and it's ridiculous in hindsight, maybe. Okay. The um the if we could create more participatory process, the world would get better. You know, this like basic belief that greater participation, greater engagement, authentic relationships between people is going to solve all of our problems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like top to bottom. Yeah. And um, and I think, you know, the, the more I've got into the systems change work and the more we've engaged with each other from the different places we yeah. come from and the more I've analyzed my own family lineage and my own education and my own life, the, the more I've got to the point where, like, you know, participation is just one of the many things we need to be working yes. with, you know. Yeah. And, and, and uh, but I think that's one of the one of the major things that's changed for me over the years is I've moved from being this kind of like disciple of participatory yeah. process yeah. to now being someone who is combining participatory process with highly strategic interventions into yeah. systems, one-to-one conversations, chess games with yeah, multiple absolutely. players. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's like the work has really changed from this kind of like open, transparent, let's get everybody in and we'll figure it out to that being one of the ways we move the work. And then also figuring out how do we actually navigate the hierarchy of power and wealth that's at play here in such a way that create the conditions 
for the work to be more participatory. So I think that's been one of the big shifts for me. And what's been one of the big because <laughs> I don't th- I don't think you came in with that lens at all. Like you were yeah. like that wasn't it just wasn't ever part of your makeup. I think you know. No, well because and, so right what, the way I came in, in yeah there we was go. abolish the hierarchy. Boom. Right, and so this was a way to abolish hierarchy, right? right? So there are many ways. There's direct action. There was, you know what I mean? There was legislation, mm. right? So, um, so I think that uh, how I've changed or how it's moved for me, well, two things. One is that I don't see hierarchy as the enemy all of the time, right? right? Like I actually think it's another yeah. structure we can work with and work for and figure out how to and how to work with it. Um, but I think I came in, so I came into this work feeling a bit disillusioned with activism and the orthodoxy and the dogma of activism. Ooh, right. Wow. And so I was like, okay, so that doesn't work for me. And then kind of got disillusioned with the orthodoxy and dogma of participation. What, right? what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> orthodoxy. How can you participate if there's orthodoxy and dogma Tuesday? What are you saying? I know. Easy tiger. Right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We have our own things. We think our, you know, we say things like self-organization. We say yeah. things like community is the answer to every problem. You know what I mean? Like, and Absolutely. While I believe those things are true, they have limitations. No. Um, and so for me, I think the learning has been no matter how attractive an answer is, like it is insufficient. And so that's what always. we're, that's, it's always insufficient. Always. And so that's why. I'm very much like, you know, we have a friend, Tennyson Wolf, who says there are 76 right ways. Yeah. And like, I, that's my, that's my, that's my mantra, right? Yeah. 76 right ways. So like participation, yes. You know, one-to-one strategy, yes. Direct action, yes. Like all of those things for me, like all those things pushing us in a direction is what's going to make systems change. I love that. We have our piece, right? Which I think is highly strategic and highly pragmatic. I would never say it is the way to make systems change, right? But I think it's an important way. I think it's bringing something important to the table. And so what's really shifted for me is like some hunger or sense that I will find the way. And instead my work is now like, okay, what are all the ways and how can we move them in a direction? Right. And so that's a big, and I think, so that's a big shift. And I think also just like my inherent dislike, distrust, orientation toward abolishing the hierarchy has probably softened. I'm not going to say it's not still alive in me, but it's definitely softened and I want to work with it. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we have called our company The Outside for a reason, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, uh, and, and part of it is this sense that actually people often say to us, we're bringing somebody in from the outside. So when you're saying we've got a unique perspective into the work, I think we do. And I think, you know, and I think what we're clearly saying is we're not coming in with the solution for you. Right. You can't hire us and we're going to give you your 12 steps to like systems awesomeness. That's not what we do. We don't have that available to do us. In fact, in fact we... our food is here. Our food is here. Back to this week's episode in a moment. Find the Outside the Podcast is a podcast about systems change, leadership, and equity. Join us for a provocative conversation, some good laughs, and hopefully some learning along the way. If you're enjoying this episode, we hope you'll consider giving the show a rating over in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It takes two minutes. You can give us a quick star rating, or if you really want to help us, you can leave a comment telling us and other podcast listeners why you like the show. It really helps the show, and it helps people with interests similar to your own find our podcast. We are back from dinner. Yay! I was so, so happy to get dinner. Tally Thai served us deliciousness. In fact, it was so delicious that it's spread over some of my notes in front of me. 
I feel yeah. like a whole different person now. Yeah. yeah. We'll I see f- what happens. I feel like a nap. No. <laughs> that would be good too, but we're not going to. We're going to continue gonna to we're talk about it. the outside and the why outside. that name. Right. Absolutely. Right. So you were saying that part of the reason we picked it was because people call us in from the outside and actually they, they say that to us, right? They do, like yeah. We like having someone come in from the outside to help us, right? Like sentence you're so close to a problem, you kind of can't get a clear view. I mean, we talked about that a little bit last time. And so people bring us in as folks who might be able to, to help them see reality a little bit clearer and decide what to do. So we come in from the outside. But I want to also say, because the other thing, I, I think we picked the name Tim before we actually even had some of that concept, right? So we did um, some work together with our branding person. And um, we... Kate English of Shared Creative. Good, Get good. Get the plug in. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And so we'll, we can link her can't we? Yeah, we'll link her. She's linked wherever you find the links for the show. Yeah, she's going to be on there. So Kate was amazing and she took us through a number of exercises, right? About how we feel when we work together, what we, you know, like how we want our work to feel, like what images come into mind. Um, And both of us had really clear two things, images from the outdoors, right? Absolutely. And both of us find a lot of our solace in nature. Massive. Right. And so as we talked about this idea that part of what links us is um, finding our solace in nature. And then the feeling we wanted for the company was this kind of natural, breezy, open, airy, organic kind of work. It just made so much sense to call it the outside. Well, it's also this sense of like, you know, let's just step outside for a minute. Oh, you know nice. what I mean? Like, oh, let's go, let's go catch our breath, you know? I mean, I literally, when I'm working from home, or even at the hub, actually, in, in my home bay, when I'm working from home, I go, I go, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I go sit on my deck and I go look at the flowers and I go look at the trees and I listen for the wind blowing through the trees. Or if I'm in, in the hub, I'll step outside and I go look at the, the kind of the bay that's there. And, and so I just, I, I think it's a huge piece of it. But there's a feeling you get when you step outside, yeah. right? So it's not only, I think it's not only that we're inviting people are inviting the outside in. It's actually that we're yeah. inviting people outside. You know? Absolutely. And like outside into nature, but also outside the way they're thinking about their problem. Outside the scope of people that they're currently yeah. involving in the in the problem solving that they're working with, you know? And so I think I think all of that is outside tied their into comfort it. zone. Out definitely. Right. Definitely. And in many ways, although although I feel like much of my life I've been embedded within many of the systems that I'm trying to shift because of who I am and how I was raised I've always felt like an outsider within it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've always felt like an outsider within it like never I've never felt like oh yeah these are the waters I swim in yeah. you know and uh, and uh, so I think you know there's been a, always a piece of my identity that's been tied in with the outside I remember seeing that book by Albert Camus mm-hmm. and just being like oh yeah and we're just looking at the title I was like oh I want to read that book you know so the, out, the outsider, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, we both, we said that, right? You, I think you might look at both of us and see us, like a person outside, right? Might look at us and say, oh, they're insiders, right? They're in these systems, they're, you know, kind of doing this work. Both of us, I think, have been fairly successful socially, right? You know, like we don't, I know that Speak we- Speak for yourself, mate. I'm terribly social. I'm, te- well, look, but I said people would perceive us. <laughs> That's true, it's true. It's just, right? It's Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I think like both of us feel like outsiders, Right? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, you said that for yourself. I certainly, um, I think that one of the gifts of being a biracial person is you're not quite in the inside of any one group. And no, so you actually right. get to see, like I experience it as like the gift of actually being outside or being an outsider. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think, yeah, it's core to both of our identities. It's core to where we find respite and solace. It's what we're inviting people into. It's where we, how our vantage point into systems. Like it just felt like it worked in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. And I just, you know, like, I mean, I mean, a lot of stuff comes down to this for me. And the same goes for the logo. We were just chatting about while we were eating our dinner, which was delicious. We were just... Tally tie. We tally tie. <laughs> Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's right. You want a good takeaway? That's where to go. Uh, so we, but we, he was just looking at the logo we've got. And he's like, oh, I see a seashell in there. I see a conch, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and and the name, the outside. And, and I was just thinking that, I mean, although I have lots of concept behind it now, like I just saw that logo and it felt right. Absolutely. I saw the name and it felt right. And yeah. for me anyway, all the conceptual understanding comes later. Yeah. And I, and uh, and I, I just see things and they feel right. And I think that's true often for our work and our clients and uh, and like who we work with and 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 so then when it when it feels right, we just find a way to make it happen, don't right. we? Right. You know. And um, so I think that's a big piece of how we operate and how we've chosen the name and how we've chosen the logo, but also how we've chosen the work and the people that we're working with and maybe even working with each other. Like certainly when we kicked off, I didn't have this like conceptual idea of me as a privileged white man working together with my, you know, with Tuesday, who's a a biracial woman from North America who was raised in a trailer park, like you were saying. Like I didn't have, there was none of that concept. There was just like, oh, this feels great. I'm having a good time and I'm learning a lot. Like there was, you know, and so I think, I think there is something for us about like mm-hmm. trusting gut instinct that's embedded in, in, in the outside. Like there's a real faith in intuition. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. And I think two things happen. One is I think we help people trust their intuition. Yeah. And I think that people feel like our intuition is trustworthy. Yeah. Because right? we don't own it as, oh, based on, you know, you, you said earlier the 12 steps to systems awesomeness. Like that's actually, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. That's actually not what we're bringing, right? No. We're not actually, we're bringing things that are based on experience and, uh, but it's not like a data or a model in the way that some folks would say. Like we're talking about moving from your center, right? Whether that center is individually or moving from the center that's between us, like moving forward from what you know instinctually might work could work try it and see what happens right yeah it's like build the path as you walk here yeah. right i mean that's the that's the root of so much of what we're doing and i think that's the root of how to lead in the midst of massive complexity right massive information saturation massive uncertainty like none of that's going to go away and it's so tempting to be like oh if we just followed that change theory right you know or like that really compelling tedx speaker and did the three things they're saying would make the most <coughs> difference like awesome we could really make this happen and 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 i just don't think we're never doing that you know and even even when we're providing because we do sit down with our clients you know and our clients range um you know in terms of where they're working and the organizations they're working in but we do we do turn up and say here's a theory but we're never like this is the theory we subscribe to we're like we think this is the most appropriate theory for this context what do you think right right you know and then we'll pull it apart you know and 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 then we'll hang our process on it right but it's yeah i think that's exactly right it's like hey here's a theory this is what we think might fit what do you think and then let's try to build a process that uses that as a bit of a structure but it's not being married to it's this this model says we have to do it this way. Yeah. And I think that that's important. And if I think about when clients come to us, like they come to us when often the models they've used or the 12 easy steps to awesomeness have not worked. Have failed again right? and again and again. And so they're like, look, 
No, or I was just going to say, I wasn't laughing at you. I wasn't laughing at you. I was just laughing because this thought occurred to me or they're just sick of getting reports. Yeah. They're sick oh, of yeah. like doing the research, identifying the issues, having a report and thinking it's job done. Right. Right. They're actually like, okay, we have to do something. So I thought you were laughing because we've been in after so many folks who have tried the tried and true best practice method. Oh God, best right? practice. And it didn't yeah. quite get you yeah. to where you think you want to go. So that's yeah. what I thought. I thought oh, right. that's yeah. what you were laughing at. Okay. But that's exactly, I mean, like, so folks that we're with, right, are facing what everyone's facing, right? Often being asked to do more with less resources in systems that are clearly failing, not getting the outcomes they want and don't have the sustainability either financial resource wise or human resource wise. So it's, we're in these systems where folks are saying, look, we're not even getting the outcomes and we're not sustainable. And so how do we begin to rethink this whole thing, right? Folks don't typically come to us if they're interested in kind of tweaking or doing something a little bit better, right? They're like, whoa, what do we do now? Yeah, they're fun. This, this, we need fundamental change, right? This isn't about like some incremental tweaking, band-aid solution that's going to solve things. We actually have to deal with a fundamental redesign at not just a structure, but a culture level. And the culture being how we relate to each other to get things done, right? And, and then how do we shift our structures, begin to rebuild around that? So that's definitely the people we're dealing with. Let's dig a little bit more into like who our clients are, right? And, uh, and then let's also talk about how we actually make this an earner. Oh, right. People right. do ask that all the time. They do. They ask it all the time. Like, how do you make a living doing this? But so, but just a little bit more. I, I, often, I think our, I think we have a lot of female clients. We have a lot of female clients. Why do you think female, that is? I've got, oh, I've got so many opinions on that. Huh. Um, so I think part of that is the, um, uh, your charming British accent. My charming British accent. The way I, <laughs> it's the way I flutter my eyelids when we do a pitch Tuesday, Reinhardt. That's why we get the jobs, isn't it? It's the little bit of grey in my beard just underneath my, just on my chin. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's real, people. It's real. It's not salt and pepper dye. It's real. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... <laughs> <laughs> Boil your appeal down to one small. Aspect no, no, of that's it. No, you got it nailed. That's me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think um, that the well, there's lots of things. So I think that I think that many of the men who are leaning in the dominant systems, their um, uh, income, sense of self-esteem, uh, power base. Um, uh, is rooted in the way things are. Mm. So it's a very, very big ask for a lot of senior male leaders yeah. to completely abandon the current reality. Right. You know, and I, and I think it's a big ask. Uh, it's not actually that bigger ask intellectually. <laughs> right. I think a lot of them, yeah. theory, I think a lot of the senior leaders we're working with who are men, like intellectually get it. But it's a massive ask uh, on a beliefs level. It's an, a massive ask on a practical level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a massive ask on a power level. Um, and then I also think there's the fact that like uh, many of the women who we're working with have fundamentally not been served by the dominant system. Well, that's what I, I mean, that's exactly you know, where they, I was they've thinking. Not, they've not been served yeah. by it. Yeah. That's what I was actually thinking is a lot of the women like, so yes, I may have gotten to a senior level position in the system, but it's not because I believe in it or I believe that it's doing all the things it says it's going to do. It's because I know how to get to a senior. You know what I mean? These yeah. are savvy brilliant accomplished women who kind of don't believe the hype in a lot of ways yeah. right and 
and are being tasked, right, with making major change in pretty untenable, you know, circumstances, right? So fix this education system. What? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think that there's a sense of, um, of not having been served by the system, not actually even being quite inside in the same way. Uh, which, that, al- which allows them to have that kind right. of analysis exactly. that I think a lot of the male senior leaders we're working with don't have. They right. don't. Have, they're so in. Like, is that what we talked about in the first podcast? It's that sense of like being so entrenched that you actually right. can't see the water you're swimming in. But I think a lot of the women leaders that we work with do have that ability to see the waters they're swimming in while they're navigating right. it. And I think. I mean, That's I true. know that yeah, there's research, but I, I mean, I couldn't quote it you, but I know that there's research that says women tend toward a more collaborative leadership model. Yeah, I've heard that too. Right. Which is definitely what we're about. Right. Right. So I think that there's some kind of affinity there. And I think that, you know, we are fundamentally what we do is we convene people. And so we need leaders who see the benefit of collaboration. We can't convince people that that's a good thing to do. Like those, no. you know what I mean? Like they have to have some affinity for that to work yeah. with us. So that's who we're working with. We're working with organizations and with people who can convene yeah. people across a system to get yeah. work done. Yeah. Right. And that's so, right. you know, at this point, not doing a whole lot of organizational, like inter-organizational work, but we're working with organizations that can bring together multiple stakeholders, yeah. right, to move something through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also wonder, I mean, just to be clear, like we don't only work with women leaders. There are senior leaders who are men that we're working with oh, yeah. and working with very closely. And I've worked, I mean, you gave the example of the Mid-Ohio Food Bank. Yeah. You're working with a male senior leader for seven to nine, nine years now on that, whatever. It's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah, yeah. I need to think about that. Yeah. Anyway, long time. Yeah, long time. <laughs> Let's just say it. Long time. You know, so it's not we're not it's not an exclusive thing, but there's definitely a pattern, I think, right. in, in our work. And I think there was something for me, I think more so when I was working solo, mm-hmm. but actually bringing in a white man into the into oh. the cause was helpful. Interesting. Like I felt like I was and I don't and I, I don't have better language than being strategically used. Yeah. <laughs> which I'm totally fine with, right. actually. You know, but like actually like bringing someone in who was a, you know, a white male who could come in and help you position yeah. the work and navigate the work through the system was, uh, it was a useful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. What do you think about that? I'm sure. I'm sure that women I know that we've worked with are savvy enough to see that and use it. Yeah. Great. Right. right? For sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, Totally. Cool. Um, anything else about our clients you think that's kind of like unique or, or different about their circumstances or what they're thinking or what they're ready for? I mean, we've already talked about they've tried things, right? I mean, they've tried what, uh, and they're usually up against some kind of mandate for change, feels yeah, like. Yeah, something's always, rolling in, but right? Yeah, like something is happening that right. kind of says like we have to make some kind of shift. So whether it's either, it's, right, it's either circumstance, yeah. legislation, Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, that's right. And often, frankly, you know, we've done smaller works, bits of work with them, right? Yeah. So they've gotten to know us and oh, trust us. That's really true. You know. Yeah, there's a whole relationship building mm-hmm. piece. Um, yeah. So we, there was just a conversation following the art of hosting North America's practitioners gathering, and uh, and Kamal was talking about that. He was just like pointing out like the amount of relationship building that goes into getting to the point where you're doing the scale of work that we were articulating and then he asked me he's like well how'd you get there and I was like oh well it took us two years and he's like yeah it took you two years of like relationship building and doing this with that group of stakeholders and doing this with another group of stakeholders who won't all talk to each other and then bringing them together and having a relationship with the senior leaders where they're doing that with you and they see those get build results when you mentioned this I mean it can take us 
to two years of yeah. doing that, what we'll call the kind of foundational phase of our work before we get into the development right. phase, right? And that foundational phase just builds all the relationships, builds the credibility, builds the trust between people to the point where they're willing to enter in the process of designing a long-term systems change effort, right? right? And so that actually brings us, it's not, I mean, we talked about it last episode, is to one of our own challenges, one of the questions we're in. Like, so now, right, we know that it can take 18 months, two years to build those kind of relationships. So what is the smaller work we take on? Yeah. How do we uh, begin to see, oh, that's smaller work that could lead to big change rather than that's just smaller work that's going to stay smaller work, right? I mean, like, that's just the question. We don't have infinite time no, to do don't. everything that comes across our desk. Yeah. So how do we begin to prioritize and actually begin to see, oh, this has the conditions to actually yeah. become a bigger project, not because, not for any kind of ego bigger project, but what we do is systems change work. Right. And so we have to follow certain threads. We have to start someplace. And so I still feel like, huh, I wonder if this will. Like we have a couple of things in the hopper now. I'm like, yeah, totally could lead to big yeah. change. Maybe not. Yeah. Right. So that's yeah, just a well, question. Well, I, th I think if we developed a 12 step checklist, you know what I mean? And then we like, printed that out and then we like so we did a few podcasts on it. We do one per. Oh, nice. Yeah. We'll, we'll make a mint. Oh, great. I love it. No, I mean, Maybe I, 12 I, steps to our own awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> So, right? I think there's, uh, I, you know how I make that choice? And yeah. I know it's going back to where we were earlier. Like I trust my gut. And yeah. every time I've ignored my gut, it's come back and got me. Like I've absolutely gone through stages where I've taken on major pieces of work, right? Yeah. Because they checked all the boxes. And I've yeah. literally made myself checklists of what I think create the conditions yeah. for systemic change work and then taking it on and it's checked all the lists. But my gut was screaming, no. Yeah. And then it came back and got me. And like suddenly I'm in the newspapers or suddenly this, <laughs> this senior leader has pulled out and completely yeah, thrown the right. whole project under the the bus or the you know one of the that's primary right. stakeholders has risen up and then suddenly we're dealing in you know so i just think that there is yeah. a huge piece of like like trusting your intuition at those yep. those decision making that's right those, those decision making points that's part of it right so we're building our discernment and trusting our gut and still getting it and wrong st and still making mistakes all the time right absolutely yeah. all the time yeah all i wouldn't want people to think like we've got it figured out no no, no. And I mean, there are things that help us. I mean, like we don't just take any work just because it feels right. No. Right. So like we, you know, we do this as a way to pay the bills and sustain our families and hopefully put some money towards our kids' education. And right. I mean, like we're doing this as an earner. Yeah. Right. And, and so what we're trying to do is combine doing something we love that we're half decent at. Yeah. Right. Um, contributing to the world in a positive way. We're trying to build a society Absolutely. that serves all. Right. And we're trying to generate income and wealth for ourselves and our families. Right. To sustain them through this lifetime and hopefully help our kids out into the future. Yeah. Right. And so, th so there is a, there's like, if we took every single piece of work that felt right. That's right. That's true. It probably there's wouldn't a, work out for there's us. There's a you know? lot of good work. Oh my gosh. There's just no shortage of things yeah. to do. Yeah. Right. That's right. So there's an outstanding question there for us about how we make money choose. Well, you know? maybe, and, but we shouldn't like, tell people that secret. Yeah, that <laughs> we should, ninja, ninja secrets. If you want to know how to make money, you have to pay us $2,000. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll give you the 12 steps to your awesomeness. Make a million at hosting conversations that matter. <laughs> TNT with dynamite. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I think we should totally get into how we make money at this gig. But not yeah. right now, in a later podcast. Yeah, Stay no. with us, join us, more juicy stuff to come. Absolutely. Look, take us into the special thing for this week, the outgo. Okay. The, out the outro of awesomeness. One of the things we want to share 
every week, right? It's something that kind of keeps us sane or keeps us practicing. And so for both Tim and I, there's a sense that poetry is oh, integral. Massive. To what we're doing and, and how we cope and how we stay in this work and what we bring to clients sometimes. And so I wanted to read this poem. It's by Sarah LaRose and we will absolutely uh, put a link to it in the show notes. Um, and I think it really fits for today because we talk a lot about our clients not knowing what to do. That's when they come to us and we don't say, oh, well, sure, we know what to do. We say, we'll figure it out together, right? We have, we have some expertise, you have some. We'll pull together a group of people and we'll figure it out together. So <clears throat> the poem. The way to find a measure of solace in the place of unknowing, of waiting, on the verge of deep waters is to remember that we are equipped with the ability to float. Water is our natural state. We had our beginnings in a sacred sea and so returning to that vast ocean does not have to be scary and unknown. It could be more like going home. Thanks, Choose. That's it for this episode of Find the Outside, the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. New episodes of the podcast are available every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast at findtheoutside.com. And you can find a bunch of links to any of the resources, poems, books, songs we mentioned during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast or in the description of the podcast in the podcast app you're listening to us on. And don't forget, we've got a Spotify playlist. If you mm -hmm. heard our last week's song or you heard a song today that you like, we have a playlist on Spotify. Just search Find the Outside and you can find a link. Or you can uh, go to findtheoutside.com slash podcast. And we might just like randomly add amazing songs to that playlist oh, at any point. Totally. So it's definitely worth going back and checking out and following. Uh, this episode was edited and produced by the marvelous Mark Coffin at Sound Good Studio. And the theme music for Find the Outside podcast is by Gary, still can't remember his last name. Blake Moore. Awesome. Thank you, Gary.